0: It is December 23rd, and for those of you who celebrate Christmas, we're a couple of days away from opening up some presents. Well, on this day in 1975, a gigantic present was handed to all of Major League Baseball by an arbitrator named Seitz. This may be a history lesson, but it may help you understand a little something about baseball as we start this episode of Locked On MLB. You are Locked On MLB. Your daily MLB podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Lockdown MLB, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. This is the daily podcast where we talk about all of Major League Baseball. I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. Check out my lower third over there. I am an Emmy-nominated television producer who has been a baseball podcaster for well over a decade now, and I've finished four seasons with the Lockdown Podcast Network. And I'm looking forward to season five in the new year, which is going to start in just a few days. You can follow us on Twitter at LockdownMLB Pods and same handle for Instagram. I'm your pal Sully. I'm at Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. And be sure to tell your smart device to play podcast Lockdown MLB, or check out some of the other great shows on the Lockdown Podcast Network, including Lockdown Diamondbacks. So, their good friend Miller Thomas, who does a weekly co hosting job here on Locked On MLB. Uh, yeah, it's uh, wrapping up for the... I'm done with my teaching until the new year. A lot of people are going to be traveling. Uh, I'm going to be standing by here at the Locked On Podcast Studios here in Pasadena, California, overlooking the historic Rose Bowl. Hey! Um, this is a season... We just saw some big-time movements of some free agents and everything like that, and ripple effects are happening for several of the teams, and I can still hear Met fans angry about Jacob DeGrom. But that's a whole element of the offseason that is a fun part, sometimes frustrating part of the offseason, but it is a part of baseball fandom that we've all grown used to. That is the element of free agency. Now, it's going to sound like I'm giving a little bit of a history lesson, but it sometimes is important to understand why things are the way they are. They help you understand the the series of events that led to the reality that we all accept. And it also leads to things like understanding what the alternative could be. Free agency has been part of baseball as long as I can remember. And I'm a 50-year-old man. Now, you have to use the rule of seven. And that is, I didn't really start following baseball until I was seven years old. I understood that baseball existed. I knew how to watch a game, all that other stuff. But my earliest real baseball memories were when I was roughly seven years old. And when I was roughly seven years old, I got hit with a roundhouse punch to the face as a fan. I understood who the players on the Red Sox were. I also understood who the players on the Yankees were. I knew the Yankees had players like Reggie Jackson, Greg Nettles, Catfish Hunter, Willie Randolph, Thurman Munson, Chris Chambliss, Mickey Rivers, Lou Pinella, Ron Guidry. Those are all Yankees. And the Red Sox included my favorite player, Butch Hobson, but also included Carly Skrubsky, Jim Rice, Fred Lynn, Dwight Evans, Carlton Fisk, Rick Burleson, Jerry Remy, Louis Tiant, and Dennis Eckersley. Well, I was collecting baseball cards my when I was about six years old, when I was first starting to learn who the players were and everything. And I found it very confusing that I saw some players like Dennis Eckersley, who was a member of the Red Sox, was wearing a Cleveland Indians hat in one of the cards I got. Jerry Remy, who absolutely was a big-time Red Sox, I got a card with him wearing the Angels. And it was fascinating to read the back of players' cards. And there was Reggie Jackson, who was the Yankees in my young eyes. And I saw he had only played one or two years with the Yankees. And most of his career was this weird team that said A's. And even players like Nettles and Louis Tiant and Chris Chambliss and Mickey Rivers all played for other teams before. That's interesting. But still, all right, they picked and choose from other teams, but there certainly wasn't going to be any cross-pollinization of players between some of the big teams, right? That first moment for me took place after the 1978 season, blissfully, the Rule of Seven did not include me understanding what the hell happened to the Red Sox in 1978 when they had one of their epic collapses. Ignorance was bliss, and it never occurred to me the Red Sox would be allowed to play in the World Series. But suddenly I found out that Louis Tiant, a true dyed wool Red Sox, if there ever was one, I didn't know he had played for the Indians and Twins before. Was going to the Yankees. What? That's right. Louis Tiant was on the Yankees. I was beginning to understand the idea that he, players could be traded. I started understanding that. I so saw this player was acquired by a trade. That player, they traded this player to get Dennis Eckersley. They traded Don Ossie to get Jerry Remy. That was the first trade I really understood. Don Ossie for Jerry Remy but they didn't get anybody for Louis Tiant. He just signed with the Yankees. He just went over. Now I didn't realize, and I thought this was actually, I remember seeing at one point, but it didn't quite register that Mike Torres, who was absolutely a Red Sox, had played for the Yankees just the year before. In fact, When the Yankees won the World Series in 1977, they had a star-studded team with a lot of very famous uh, pitchers on that team, many of whom were Cy Young Award winners. Ron Guidry would eventually be a Cy Young Award winner, Catfish Hunter, Sparky Lyle. There were a lot of big-time names. But it was Mike Torres who was on the mound, jumping up and down, leaping into Thurman Munson's arms when they won the World Series in 1977. And yet he became a Red Sox the next year. Didn't quite understand that. There was a thing in the back of the cards that said acquired. It said, when were they traded? It said, free agent re-entry draft. Didn't quite understand until Louis Tiant. Louis Tiant was with the Red Sox. He had something called a contract to play with the Red Sox. And when it ran out, he could sign with another team. And he signed with the Yankees. Didn't seem right. I was seven. I didn't quite understand. I was young. I was naive. Although, remember, that was at the end of the 1978 season. And that was really free agency in its infancy. Now, over the next bunch of years... I began to understand that free agency can giveth and it can taketh away. The Red Sox lost another big free agent to the Yankees when Bob Watson signed there, but then they signed Tony Perez to take their place. And then there was a bunch of free agent signings back and forth, and then we had one of the absolute most underappreciated baseball scandal, which was the collusion of owners in the 1980s, to not sign free agents. The prices of the free agents have gone up way too high. They're going to get together, and they colluded along with the commissioner to not sign players no matter what level they were. And when they were found guilty of that, that led to the players' strike, which led to the steroid era, which led to this, which led to that, which led to modern-day baseball. But free agency has been part of it. And free agency has been part of the off-season landscape when people fantasize about a player is available, we could just sign them. And some teams shy away from them. And sometimes you get fan bases like Yankee fans screaming for years and years, sign the big players. And then you have generational talents like Bryce Harper and Manny Machado floating around unsigned until the very end. And that's what happens to the teams that actually sign them. You have huge success stories as free agents. 1992, at the end of the 1992 season leading into the 1993, two of the greatest free agent signings in the history of baseball took place. The Atlanta Braves signed Greg Maddox, and the San Francisco Giants signed Barry Bonds. Those are two big-time free agent signings that absolutely shot the team into, each team into the stratosphere when the expansion Arizona Diamondbacks had a terrible first season in 1998, they knew that Randy Johnson, who was not going to resign with the Seattle Mariners and was rented by the Houston Astros, well, they knew they had a big fish to catch there. Randy Johnson was signed by the Diamondbacks and became one of the great free agent signings ever. Max Scherzer was also one of the great free agent signings ever. The Cy Young Award winner with the Detroit Tigers became available and signed with the Washington Nationals, won multiple Cy Young Awards, and helped the Nationals win the World Series. There have been some great free agent signings. There's been some classic busts. You know, the Red Sox have had a few. Jack Clark was a disaster. Carl Crawford was a disaster. From time to time, you'll see players who were big time with one team, it doesn't quite pan out with another. Kevin Brown was one of the all-time best pitchers of his era. Signed with LA, he had one or two good years, but then started to break down. There have been some great free agent signings and there have been some disasters. But the fact that we have them at all is a sign that baseball changed significantly in the 1970s. And an event that happened on this day in 1975, forever changed the direction of history. And strangely, an arbitrator was involved in this case. He was also involved in another case. So twice this man led baseball to the new promised land. But first, this. Did you know that driving high is considered driving under the influence That's right. Driving under the influence of marijuana is against the law in every single state, even in states where marijuana is legal. That means driving high could get you a DUI. And if you think law enforcement officers can't tell when you're driving high, you're wrong. Your friends can tell, your coworkers can tell, your parents can tell, everyone can tell. So what makes you think that law enforcement officers don't know when you're driving high? Driving under the influence of marijuana can slow your response time and change how you perceive time and speed. So even if you think you're fine to drive when you're high, you're not. Because the bottom line is, if you feel different, you drive differently. And driving high is driving under the influence. So remember, drive high and get a DUI. Paid for by NHTSA. Peter Seitz! Have you ever heard of him? Are you a baseball fan? Never heard the name Peter Seitz? Well, he's a pretty significant person. Peter Seitz was an arbitrator. Listen to cases on this side and that side. When cases came to binding arbitration instead of going to court, he would be the one to render decisions, to turn uh, a decision one way or the other. To put it in American Idol terms, and I'm dating myself a little bit with this reference, he was the Randy Jackson Of several decisions. You know, when you watch the original old school uh, American Idol, you know Paula was going to like everything and Simon was going to hate everything. So essentially, you're trying to win over Randy. If you win over Randy, chances are you're going to get through. Well, Peter Seitz was that. First time Peter Seitz became part of baseball history. And I'm going to go further into this. I'm not going to do a deep dive on Catfish Hunter because believe it or not, I read way too much on this topic. But Catfish Hunter was the biggest pitching star in baseball in 1974. Catfish Hunter had a contract with the Oakland A's which had part of his salary paid in an annuity. Not a salary, but as an annuity. The team would pay into some sort of retirement fund. Not him. It wouldn't be paid to Catfish and then he paid. The team would do it. And there were tax reasons for all that, which is way beyond my pay grade. I had to sell a lot of built bars to be able to understand all the implications of it. But that's what his contract said. And At one point, Charlie Finley missed a payment and then said, ah, here, here's the payment. Here's Here's the check, you drop it off. I said, no, that's not what's in the contract. And Catfish Hunter took the A's to arbitration saying, you're in violation of my contract. And if you, if you violated my contract, that means the contract is null and void, which means I can sign with whatever, with whatever team I want to. I can leave this team, which is exactly what he did. He sued and he won that he was freed. Now, let me explain to you why that's significant. That's significant because players just couldn't sign with whoever they wanted to. In the 1880s, 1880s, not 1980s, 1880s, Major League Baseball's contracts included something called the Reserve Clause. And what this did to help prevent players from jumping ship to rival leagues. There was a rival league called the Players League that was going to give all sorts of freedom to the players, or they didn't have the dough that the National League had. And the National League eventually squashed them. And as sort of a punishment for the players thinking of jumping ship to this other league, the reserve clause was added to every contract that said that if the team and the player can't come to agreement with a contract, then the previous, the club has the right, can reserve the right, to renew the player's previous year's deal. Boom. And So what does that mean? That means that a player is attached to one team until that team is good and ready to get rid of them, whether by trade or just by saying, okay, your contract's done, you're cut. A player didn't have the right to talk to another team. The player couldn't negotiate with another team and therefore had zero leverage in terms of negotiating a contract. Now, I want you to stop and think about that for a second. When people talk about the good old days of baseball, and players back then were loyal and played for their team and for the love of the team, they didn't. They had no choice. They couldn't negotiate with other teams. They couldn't sign with other teams. A player was locked with a club unless management felt that they could get more if they traded them away. You saw superstars get traded away. Obviously, Babe Ruth did. Rogers Hornsby got traded left and right. Jimmy Fox got traded. Lefty Grove got traded. There were big names who got traded, but usually it came around the time when an owner was strapped for cash, and they figured they could make some dough if they sold off one of their big players. That's exactly what happened with Babe Ruth and Lefty Grove and Jimmy Fox. And they didn't have the ability to sign with a team. If you're stuck on a crummy team, like, for example, Walter Johnson was forever with the Washington Senators, or Grover Cleveland Alexander was for all those terrible years with the Phillies, they couldn't sign with another club. The only recourse players had back then was to sit out sit out free agents or sit out spring training and owners would have to have their bluffs called now some of the players who did this which you would think like god how greedy could they be babe ruth did it ted williams did it joe dimaggio did it all the players did it to get a little raise here or there but you couldn't negotiate and a lot of times players salaries weren't Published so, and nobody knew what the hell anyone else was making anyway. And so, the players had their entire careers controlled. Now, other businesses didn't act like that. Movie stars can leave from one studio to another. Hell, think about the job you have. I'm a teacher, I teach in Pasadena. If I got a better job in some other place. I think about it, and and actually, I took this job in Pasadena because it was a better job than the one I had last year in another part of L.A. That's something you and I take for granted. I worked at the tech company with people all the time. I'm working at Hewlett-Packard. Oh, I got a better job at Oracle. Bye-bye. But baseball players couldn't do that. They did not have that freedom to jump around. Now, Marvin Miller, who was posthumously put in the Hall of Fame, became the head of the Players Association, and a bunch of lawyers took a look at the reserve clause and saw that it didn't quite mean what the owners were telling the players it meant, and the players who are not exactly legal scholars didn't really question it. It said that the team had the right to renew the previous year's contract if they couldn't agree on one, but the law, it was meant or what it was told to the players and was presented as, the team could do that in perpetuity. But the lawyers looked at that and said, that's not what it says. It says you can renew the previous year's contract. It doesn't mean you could do it forever. And if, you, if the team just renewed the previous year's contract and you played by that deal, then there was no contract to renew at the end of the year. If you don't both agree to a contract and the year is over, well, what? show me the contract you signed last year. I didn't. There was no contract. You just renewed the previous year's deal. Now, the Players Association wanted someone to challenge this. In other words, not sign a contract for a whole year. And then at the end of the year, give it a shot. Say give it a shot in front of an arbitrator now Kurt Flood had tried to do this years before but he just declared himself a free agent at the end of the year he had a contract signed from the previous year that was renewed his attempt didn't work but it laid down the groundwork and but players were terrified to challenge the owners they had no leverage to begin with And now they could potentially ruin their career. They Look at what happened to Kurt Flood, one of the best center fielders in baseball. He challenged the reserve clause, lost, and then his career was over. He only played a handful of games afterwards and became a pariah. Was it worth it? Was it worth risking your career? Heck, a big star can make $100,000. Why would I risk that? Then Catfish Hunter took center stage. Peter Seitz... Sided in the favor of Hunter, he became a free agent. He could sign with whomever he wanted to. And he wound up signing a five-year deal worth $3.5 million. Right now, that's chump change, although I'd take it. But that's chump change for Major League Baseball players. But then everyone's heads exploded. Millions of dollars? A player can get millions of dollars if they go on the open market? But that was looked upon as a fluke. Charlie Finley messed up a contract. Now they had to take on the whole system. Miller found a pair of players. Andy Messersmith was a star pitcher for the Dodgers. And he said, yeah, I'll play a whole season without a contract. And Dave McNally, who was a star pitcher for the Baltimore Orioles in the early 70s, had played the previous year in 1975, as a member of the Expos, but he barely played and his career was over and he knew it. So he felt like, what do I have to lose? But Smith was still an effective pitcher for LA. They played the entire season without a contract and then said, the team can't renew a contract that doesn't exist. And they took it to binding arbitration. The commissioner of baseball sat on one part of the panel of arbitration. Marvin Miller sat on the other side for the players. And then comes Peter Seitz. No, not really a dog in the fight. He was just looking at it legally. And he said, Yeah, how can you renew a contract that doesn't exist? He can, he could sign with whoever he wants. He he has no contract. He just, he can go and find another job. Both of them, McNally and Messersmith. And with that, free agency, true free agency, not the fluke what happened with Catfish Hunter was born. And everybody went bananas. Everybody thought, oh, my God, it's the end of baseball. Oh, my God, teams are going to collapse. You're going to see the same teams win the World Series every year. You know, the it's just going to be a disaster for baseball. And it's going to be the economic ruin of the game. Well, let's, after we hear this, think about what the aftermath was. When free agency came about, teams could dominate for long periods of time. The Yankees dominated for long periods of time. The Dodgers dominated for long periods of time. And then you came the era of free agency, really beginning in the late 70s into the 80s. And you went on a stretch where there wasn't a back-to-back World Series winner between 1978 and 1992. Only There was only one uh, back-to-back pennant winner, which were the A's, you know, the big market A's. You saw teams that hadn't sniffed the postseason in generations make the postseason. A lot of time with the help of either big free agent signings or teams avoiding a free agent dump with a trade or two, like the Padres or the Cubs or the White Sox. You saw the Phillies win their first ever World Series title with big help from free agent signing with Pete Rose. You saw year in and year out, teams sign players and improve themselves. You saw revenues go up. You saw the value of teams go up. The value of television packages go up. And you also saw a great interest in trying to keep your players with your team. And it also opened up avenues for players that in the past would have been cut off. I remember, well, let me I'll just say a name, Don Bulwig. Have you ever heard of Don Bulwig? Probably not. Don Bullwig was a tremendous minor league player. Played for years and years. And some of those years, he was playing in a farm system where he was in the New York Yankee farm system and could not make it to the major leagues because he was blocked by some big-time players. You saw every year there were players in the minor leagues that major league teams tried to make sure that other clubs wouldn't get them. They would block them so that they would hoard them in case of an injury. But with free agency, a player like that could sign with another team. When Mickey Mantle saw the movie Bull Durham, he said he thought it was a sad movie because he remembered lots of players like Crash Davis, whose career to the major leagues was blocked by a major leaguer who was already in place. Movement. If you're blocked on a team, you could sign with someone else. And you can make big time moves if you're a team like the Padres and Phillies recently who hadn't contended in Forever to make the moves, to make yourself better. Yes, there's instances where the Red Sox or the Dodgers or the Yankees or the Cubs or whomever signed a bunch of players. Sure, but that happened beforehand. That happened when the Yankees would hoard minor leaguers and sign up players that the Browns and the Senators and the Phillies couldn't afford. That's why we had a draft. There's a a, a, draft an amateur draft was to prevent the big time teams from signing all the best prospects. The freedom allowed the value of everyone. Everyone made more money. You saw stadiums being built. You saw television contracts. You saw all sorts of endorsements, everything going around. Baseball was stagnant. Yes. You had teams that fell apart because of free agency. But that was more to do with the fact of owners not signing the players than it was for the greedy players. Because for years and years, for generations, it was the owners who had every single card. You want to know what loyalty? Loyalty in players like Ripken or Yastrzemski or Tony Gwynn or Kirby Puckett signing long-term with their teams. It's not Joe DiMaggio. Roberto Clemente would have signed with a big market team. He was so frustrated and he was openly frustrated about the fact that he was playing in a small market team in Pittsburgh that for many of the years was in last place or near last place and his great talents were somewhat obscured. Sandy Koufax and Don Drysdale sat out the beginning of the 1966 season when they were the two best pitchers, maybe the two best players in the National League at that time coming off of a World Series victory in 1965. They knew the Dodgers couldn't do piddly-poo without them because they couldn't hit. And they sat out the first month or so looking for a big-time contract. You don't think Kofax would have signed with someone else with the Dodgers nickel and diming him? There we go. It's better for baseball to have this freedom. You get to see what real loyalty is. You get to see what real good ownership is. And you to see what management is. And let's face it, it makes the off-season more interesting to have free agency than instead of waiting for moves and trades and everything like that. Before things like this, the owners could make rules up the way they wanted to. There was a rule that was proposed in the late 30s, which was you're not allowed to make a trade with a pennant winner. If the team finished in first place, you can't make a trade with them. The rule didn't pass, but the fact that rules like that could have been floated around. Well, they knew at that point they could do whatever they wanted. And now they can't. Because what happened on December 23rd from Peter Seitz, the arbitrator, who twice ruled in favor of, yeah, let players sign where they want. You may think it's bad for baseball. I think the evidence shows the other. The evidence doesn't agree with you. But either way, it's a significant milestone in baseball history, which in a few years will be approaching its half century of existence. Be interesting to see the number of teams that, you know what, even if we take the best record in baseball, okay, because, yes, there are uh, more playoff teams now than there were uh, pre-free agency. So it may not, you know, comparing World Series winners to – uh, before free agents and efforts, maybe apples and oranges. Well, m- maybe we should compare the best records in baseball. Be interesting to see that if it's changed. But one thing it's done is it's changed the offseason. Met fans may grumble and say it's for the worse, but the Mets have signed some big free agents along the past too. Some have been successful. Some have been Bobby Bonilla. But either way, this is a significant day. On a day when no games were played in 1975, no one was on the mound, no big hits were made. But players officially got their freedom. And the landscape of baseball was changed forever. And the landscape of podcasts has changed forever. And I'm going to be doing these throughout the offseason. So go to Lockdown MLB Pods on Twitter and on Instagram. I'm your pal, Sully. I'm at Sully Baseball on Twitter. Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. Giving credit, credit's due to Peter Seitz. This has been Locked on MLB for the 23rd day of December 2022. Wrap those presents if you celebrate Christmas. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.